sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. My guest today, Bettina Krauss, is the editor of Liberty Magazine, the nation's oldest and, dare I say, best magazine <laughs> devoted to religious freedom. But then I get to serve on the editorial committee. Bettina, welcome back to Freedom's Ring. Thank you, Alan. And I would agree with your assessment. Very astute. Well, and I'm very excited. You've just been on board as the new editor for a few months now, but uh, very excited about the work that you're doing. And I wanted to have a chat with you today about some of the things that you're perceiving as key developments mm. in religious freedom. And obviously, one of them has to do with the explosion of exemption requests from various types of, of vaccine mandates. And how do you see this from a religious freedom perspective? Well, Alan, yes, that is certainly one of the biggest issues that is dominating the legal and um, political environment at the moment. Um, you know, Liberty Magazine has uh, maintained a very consistent position on this issue. And that is, yes, there are most definitely some instances where vaccine mandates can be challenged by those who hold genuine religious convictions, who have a history of, of holding those convictions against taking vaccines. And, you know, but unfortunately, what we're seeing is a whole range of, well, I should say a whole crop of new objections, ostensibly on the basis of religion, but maybe a cover for something else. Something else being? Well, let me back up here because this is, let me frame this issue. And, and the way I see this issue is that we need to be very careful how we deal with difficult political situations, how we try to engineer results that we want. Because sometimes the process of engineering the results we want, such as in this case, avoiding a vaccine mandate, how we go about trying to get to the end point that we desire can have long-term and frankly unintended, unanticipated consequences. There's this story I like to tell, and it may be apocryphal, but it's a good one. And it's from 19th century India. And the British authorities in the city of Delhi um, were alarmed at the growth of the, the population of dangerous cobras in the city. They were, they were harming people. So they came up with this great idea of offering a bounty to anyone who could bring in a dead cobra. And this worked well. Many dead cobras started arriving. But before long, people started to think, hmm, we can make an easy profit here. And they began to breed cobras for the purpose of <laughs> for the purpose of bringing them in for the bounty. And, you know, it didn't take long, the British authorities, what was happening. And what happened was quite natural. As soon as the bounty program was shut down, then the people who were breeding the cobras released their no longer valuable cobras and the, the cobra problem was actually magnified by, by this public policy 
approach. And to me, that kind of sums up this pitfall of looking toward a short-term outcome, an outcome we want, an outcome which we may feel has moral validity, that, that we feel is justified, but, but getting to that point by means which are actually harmful in the long term. So I think I see where you're going with this. And I think that there are multiple applications of this principle right. where the, the means don't justify the ends and don't, and, and often there are unintended consequences. Um, in, in foreign policy terms, it's called blowback. Right? right? The unintended consequences of things, like what happened when the Carter administration withdrew support for the Shah of Iran. And uh, now we see the unintended consequences of a hostile Iran developing nuclear weapons and, and all of the rest, right? Exactly. But, you know, on the one hand, the mandates themselves seem like a justified policy because, of course, uh, you know, the theory is we'd all be better off if everybody were vaccinated and got to herd immunity, but we have a significant contingent who don't trust the government. Right, exactly. Um, I'm not going to be the first one to how trustworthy the government is. <laughs> well, exactly. I'm, you know, so on the one hand, you have this mandate policy, which may seem sensible, and yet what are the unintended consequences of that? Um, a lot of people are losing their jobs. They're going to react badly. You know, if, if the state tells me I got to do something, my response is going to be, yeah, go ahead and try and make me. Right. Yeah. I know you're going a completely different direction, <laughs> which is that um, this concept of, of the means not justifying the ends and unintended consequences has applications not only to requests for accommodation, but to the mandates themselves because there is problems with both. I know you want to talk about what happens when too many people are requesting religious accommodations and they have other reasons for not wanting the vaccine, right? Right. And you're absolutely right, Alan. It does work both ways. There are unintended consequences to any sort of purposive social action. There are going to be consequences we don't want to deal with. But from my perspective, as an advocate for religious freedom, what concerns me in the current situation is that we see a mass of people who are now claiming um, a religious exemption to mandate. And I have great sympathy for them because they may have a genuine distrust of the process by which the vaccine was developed. They may feel that it may harm them. They may be the victim of false information, of conspiracy theories. They may distrust the government. They may, you know, have a whole range of, of concerns about these mandates. And I am not unsympathetic to them. But I would say this. None of those reasons religious freedom. And by asserting religious freedom as a cover for their evasion of these mandates, what it does is it brings the whole language of religious freedom into disrepute. It degrades the value, the integrity of the idea of religious freedom. Now, you know, you may think that I'm just talking in the abstract, but we are seeing sort of a drumbeat of hostility growing toward religious exemptions in the vaccine mandate context for now. But it will continue to grow, I believe, 
into more areas of our legal system. Um, for a long time, there have been different groups that have had an inherent hostility toward any sort of special treatment for religion. This sort of mass use of religious freedom as a cover for evading vaccine mandates only fuels that hostility and only gives ammunition to the side that would try to rein in any sort of special accommodation uh, for religious free exercise in a whole range of areas. You know, Bettina, one of the things that I have often tried to explain to believers, Christians in particular, is how religion is viewed by people who don't have any faith, mm -hmm. right? Because if you take a secular view of religion, religion at its best, if you don't believe in God, religion at its best is a relatively harmless myth. Right. And at its worst, as we all know, Religion has proven to be very dangerous, violent. It has been a source of conflict, of war. It continues to be throughout history and throughout present geopolitics. It is very volatile in many mm -hmm. places. And, and it's not limited to any particular religion because all religions just about have some degree of involvement with violent conflict. So, you know, the question becomes if you are a person who is secular, and who is engaged, you know, politically, the question becomes, why do we want to protect somebody's right to believe what is at best a harmless myth and at worst potentially very violent and destructive? The case for religious freedom is obvious to believers, yeah. but it's not obvious to non-believers. And you have to understand what you've just said, Alan, also in the context of changing demographics in the U.S., because what we are seeing is the rise of so-called nuns, people who are not affiliated with any organized religion, who express skepticism or simply agnostic about religious belief. And the people who feel that religion is special, that it is somehow transcendent, that it is, you know, the sort of the moral foundation of our society, that group of people is shrinking. Um, that's a reality. That's a, that's just simply a reality of numbers. And so what happens is you have to justifying on what basis then do you single out religion for special treatment? On what basis do religious exemptions to generally applicable laws, on what basis does that become justifiable? And this is something I think that we as, as advocates for religious freedom are going to have to increasingly grapple with as we go into the future, which brings me back to my point that this, you know, wholesale use of the appeal to religious freedom to evade vaccine mandates. I mean, let's have a discussion about people's genuine concerns of vaccine mandates. Let's have that discussion. Let's not abuse and misuse the concept of religious freedom in that because you are fueling this process of degrading religious freedom generally in the eyes of the public. Well, and, you know, it strikes me that it's certainly possible to craft a policy that's not based on mandates, where we say for those who don't want to be vaccinated, you know, here's what you have to do. There are costs to be borne by society. Right. And even where there are mandates, 
What generally has been implemented is a policy of providing for regular testing and continued use of various safety measures, you know, masking and distancing and what have you. But I mean, I'm seeing cases where remote workers are being required to get vaccinated or else. And, you know, and so... You know, there's a lot of overreach on the pro-vaccine side, right? Right, And, you know, I feel like I represent the certainly the Seventh-day Adventist's position, which it's a tough sell in our society because, as I've said to our administration, we have a nuanced position because as a church, we believe in the vaccine wholeheartedly. We promote the vaccine. We're big on public health. We have a hospital system, et cetera. You know, I'm vaccinated. We believe in that, but we also believe in defending the rights of those, whether they agree with us or not. Yes. And, you know, my mainstay in terms of my legal work is protecting people of faith who are at risk of losing their jobs because of their faith. And yes, there are there are plenty of people, as you pointed out, who are invoking religious exemptions with non-religious rationales for not wanting to be vaccinated, but they're also religious people. And I think it harms those with genuine religious convictions to have the request for an exemption abused. Right, right. And I think you're right, Alan, with your point that there is overreach on the part of those who would enforce mandates in a way that is utterly irrational. And I think it reflects the fact that we're living in a polarized and very politicized environment in which there's not a lot of patience for the sort of nuanced work of trying to find a middle ground on any issue. And on that note, Bettina, we're going to have to close. We've been talking with Liberty Magazine editor Bettina Krauss about the use and abuse of religious exemptions and potential harm for the religious freedom endeavor overall. Bettina, thanks for being with us on Freedom's Ring today. That's a pleasure. And as we close, remember, friends, freedom is not free. Be informed. Get involved. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Till next week, let freedom ring.